So we have been talking for the past several weeks now about what good we can do for the Garden State and how we can live our lives in a way that can make this state better. And uh, we spent a good chunk of that time going through a number of topics like reconciliation, generosity, justice, hospitality, communion, and blessing. And we kind of did that from the outside in. We said, if these things are true about us and our, our state, what would need to actually be true about us to make that happen? What would we need to change? How would we need to act to make this a reality that we live in? And then in the past two weeks, we've uh, shifted that focus from the outside in to the inside out. So what is actually true about us from what we know about our relationship to God? And how can we live out of that identity to bring this kingdom, this kingdom that's marked by these things here? And this week, um, this week we had some pretty uh, interesting things happen, right? We had this election that, from what I can tell, nobody anticipated this result. Um, and it's thrown a lot of people for a loop. And I think, I think we should remember a couple of things. First off, regardless of who anybody voted for, anybody on that ballot was not our hope. Our hope has always been Jesus. So let's cling to that hope. Because that hope is not wasted. God is good. And Jesus is good. And he's still with us. I also think that we should be praying, probably now more than ever, for our leaders, for our soon-to-be leader, for our friends and family, for, for our country. And I also, you know, like, don't put your identity in Republican or Democrat. We're going to be talking a lot about, about identity. Don't wear that badge with honor more than you're wearing this badge, more than you're wearing... Jesus. And I would argue that that wearing that badge in the, of Democrat or Republican or third party would probably be damaging to your mission in this season. Our world needs more of this and less division. Less I'm right and you're wrong. And there's a lot of people right now that are very fearful of the repercussions of Trump's win. And you don't need to agree with their reasoning on that fear. You don't need to think that they're right to have compassion. What those people are experiencing is their need for this stuff. So be that. It's what our world needs now more than ever. So with the collective blood pressure rising in the room, let's pray. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are bigger than us, than any election. 
that you are always in control. And we cling to you as our hope, our hope to really make America great again. Would you guide our leaders and our soon-to-be leader? Make them wise in your eyes, Lord. And make us wise in your, in your eyes. Teach us on how we should handle this as people of a wide range of emotions. And help us to be what we need in this world. A community of reconciliation and generosity, justice, hospitality, communion, and blessing, Lord. Help us to be that. Bless me as I speak, Lord. I pray, Lord, that um, you would shine through. More than anything I have to say, you would be made great today. In the name of Jesus, amen. So as I was saying, we, we've been focusing on these ideals, and they're, they're really good. They're, they're great, and I, I learned a lot through that, that portion of the, the series. In the past two weeks, we've kind of switched gears a little bit, and we've been focusing on our identity. So we've looked at our identity as a family of God, because we all share the same Father. And we've looked at what it means to be a disciple as we follow the Son. And this week, we're going to learn what it means to be missionaries or sent ones of the Holy Spirit. And uh, Jay's been starting off with the Great Commission, and I think that's a great place to start. So yeah, we've been, we've been focusing on the Father, the Son, and now we're going to focus on the Holy Spirit and how we're missionaries. And I, I think that you know, the Great Commission is a great place to start because this is where we get our mission from. So let's turn to that. It's Matthew twenty-eight, eighteen to 20. You'll see it up on the screen there. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, me meaning Jesus. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to, to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always the very end of the age. As missionaries sent by the Holy Spirit, we're going to be focusing on those those two parts that were underlined. Um, First, well, I guess it was the one that was underlined. Um, The first is, therefore, go. You know, as missionaries, we are sent. We have a purpose. We have a mission. We got to go. And then the next will be um, how God is with us. What does that look like? in this day and age. He promises that we will be together, that he will be with us, but what does that look like exactly? So I guess I'll, I'll turn that to you guys. What, uh, what do you guys think of when, we, when the term Holy Spirit comes up? What, what do you think of? What comes to mind when you think of the Holy Spirit? Sid Power? That's good. Anything else? Set of presence. It's good. I like that too. Hmm? Production. How about this side of the room? And someone not an idler. Helper. That's good. Really, really good. 
wisdom. Nice. Yeah, these are all good. God, the Holy Spirit is definitely a presence that is that shapes our the way we we act and move, empowers us. <laughs> hmm, better, because Jesus promised it would be better that He left and the Holy Spirit was sent in His place. Hmm, that's an interesting thought. Certainly true. Certainly true because without Jesus going back, he wouldn't be there to plead on our behalf for our holiness. Holiness that we don't, frankly, deserve, but he he gives to us. Better because at the end of the day, we see the Holy Spirit living amongst us. Whereas the Father is enthroned on the heaven, they're up in heaven, he's up on the throne, and Jesus is at his right hand. Holy Spirit's right here. So that's really important. That's really good. So anybody have anything else they want to add? This is really good. Thank you for sharing all that, guys. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, we're going to be learning a lot about the Holy Spirit and what it means to be an empowered missionary, and I think it'd be good if we kind of went through history and explored that a little bit. And let me just stop and say, I love our family church because we're not afraid to talk about the Holy Spirit. We, it's not the first time it's happened on stage. You know, we've, we've done this before. And a lot of other congregations that I've been a part of, you know, or, or experience in some way, they're like, God is great. He's so glorious. He's so powerful. He's in control. Jesus is great. He died for our sacrifices. Let's look like him. And the Holy Spirit, he, he did stuff, I think. You know, like they have no idea what to do with the Holy Spirit, especially when you call him the Holy Ghost. You're like, that's weird sounding. Um, you know, it's my personal, you know, that's just a little weird. But uh, but I, I, I love that we're not afraid to explore that. And so let's do that some, some more this this morning. Um, so we're going to do a really quick overview of the history of the Holy Spirit in our, in our history. And this is not so that we can get more intelligent or have some knowledge. I think this actually has implica- implications for our lives. So let's explore that. So first time we actually see the Holy Spirit is in the beginning at creation. He's there. In Genesis 1, first two verses, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So the Holy Spirit's there as a creative presence. A little bit later in, in Genesis, human beings are formed out of dust, and the breath of God goes into these people. Breath of God loosely translates to spirit of God. The Holy Spirit fills our lungs, humanity's lungs. Take a deep breath right now. Thanks, Holy Spirit. You made that happen. Uh, 
the next time, and this is a very quick overview of the Old Testament. So if you're an Old Testament scholar like my wife is, I'm sure you're going to have a lot more to, to tell me about this. But um, uh, the next time we see the Holy Spirit is actually in a lot of different instances. We see him empowering his people. So he empowers craftsmen that are building the, uh, the parts of the temple and the ark. We see, see God empowering those people to do what he's, they're doing. We see God, or we see the Holy Spirit, and, and they mention him more as like the spirit of prophecy or spirit of power. But we see him as essentially the equipment that saviors and leaders alike put on to do what they do. So people like Paul, da- or I'm sorry, not Paul, Saul, David, Samson, Gideon, and others, you know, those big heroes of the faith in the Old Testament, we see them put on the spirit of prophecy or the spirit of power to do what God has them to do. So God has this, the uh, Holy Spirit has this empowering presence in his people. But it's actually widely regarded that because of the Jews' sin, disempowerment, the spirit of prophecy takes off. That is, stops visiting his people. And the Jews begin to look towards the future when this connection will come back. And uh, we see in Joel 2 to 28 that they're actually looking forward to a time when they are, are hoping God will return. And after... And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. And every young man, and your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Now this promise does not come like, oh, this is going to be great. It comes in the midst of judgment. Things will be dark. Things will be scary. People will be suffering. That is promised. And then in the midst of that, God's spirit will return to his people. I don't know about you, but I I, I feel like that's exactly how the Holy Spirit should work. If you're sinning, if you're not worthy, the spirit should leave. Like you should not have that kind of power. Like Thor, if you're a comic book nerd, Thor it gets all of his power, or most of his power, from his hammer. And he can only wield it if he's worthy. This, this hammer gives him power to fly, power to do battle with the Hulk, you know, the strongest thing in the Marvel Universe. He, he, uh, it, it gives him power to control lightning. But if he's not worthy of wielding that power, he can't even pick that hammer up. And I feel like that's how the Holy Spirit should work, right? Like, that's how I would be, do, do things if I was God. Luckily, I'm not God. God is so much better than that. And he's merciful. He wants to, he wants to make us worthy and then give us that power. And I think that's, that's so much better than than what I could dream for. And we begin to see the Spirit come back to his people. 
because he is merciful. He does punish them. They do get punished, and they, they deserve that punishment, and God is just for doing so. But he comes back to his people out of grace. He comes back to them because of this promise. And we see it in really interesting ways. So we've kind of been speeding through the Bible, so we're going to slow down a little bit now that we're in the New Testament. And the Jews are looking for this Messiah, a spirit-filled Messiah. They fully expect him to be clothed with the spirit of power and spirit of prophecy. But something much more interesting takes place. We see angels come to two people. One is an old man who ends up having a son, John the Baptist. The other is a young woman who ends up having a son, Jesus. John the Baptist gets filled with the Holy Spirit before he's even born. We have a Holy Spirit-empowered fetus. (laughs) Kind of cool, right? So much so that the mom is just overtaken and has to prophesy about Mary and the coming son that would change the world. And we see this in Luke. We see the first fruits of this promise that the Spirit will return. We see it in part come to just a small handful of people. And then Jesus is even more interesting. He's not just filled with the Holy Spirit. His very presence is attributed to the Holy Spirit. He is conceived by the Holy Spirit. And then later on, he's actually filled with it. But just like stop for a second, like, thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you for Jesus. Jesus is awesome, and he made it happen for us. And we see Jesus um, at his baptism get the Holy Spirit poured out on him. And then his ministry begins. He goes into the wilderness. He's empowered to overcome Satan and the temptation that all of us have faced. He's empowered to overcome that. We see Jesus again and again and again employ the power of the Holy Spirit to heal people, to prophesy over people, to, to talk about things that he should have no business knowing. Except for the fact that he's God and he's empowered by God. And I, I think... Th- I think this is huge. This is, this tells me that the entire Trinity is involved with this missionary work that we should be missionaries. We see God orchestrating history for this moment. We see the Holy Spirit opening the door and we see Jesus walking through it, coming to us, stepping out of his glory and his honor and his power. Stepping out into being a baby. Being an infant. With a poopy diaper that's powerless. And this is what we see heaven do for us. How much more should we do? Our God is a missionary God. And don't take that as guilt. Take that as love. Because he came for you. And we get to do this. We get to be a part of this. See, Jesus is this 
is a missionary first. And last week we learned that we should be emulating Jesus. That's no surprise. Every sermon we've ever had is about emulating Jesus, pretty much. Um, uh, But uh, we see Jesus being the first missionary. And he's going to the Jews. He's looking at, you know, how they're measuring up to the, the commandments and saying, guys didn't make it, but here I am to help you make it, help you to be holy. I can do that for you. And he does spend some time talking to people who aren't, aren't Jews, the Gentiles. He does spend some time doing that. But his mo- main focus is, are the Jews. He wants to, to call them back to, his, to him. And then at the end of his life, he commissions us to take care of the rest of the job. And I think, I think it's pretty. I, I think it's important to kind of define missionaries at this point. So I, I owe a lot, large portion of my sermon to a really good resource called the Dictionary of Jesus and the Gospels. It was released by University Press. It's really good. It's a couple great articles. If I ever start a study, I basically start in that line of books. And um, this one, I was looking up the term missionary. And the entry literally just said, see apostles. And luckily I knew, knew some things about apostles. So I knew, I knew that um, apostle means sent ones. So we see God orchestrating all of this so he can send himself to the Jews and then we see Jesus sending us to the world. And I really like Matthew and the way he puts it in the Great Commission. But I think, I think for what we're discussing tonight, Luke, or this morning, Luke is, uh, he puts it in, a, in an interesting way. So let's go to that. Luke 24 to 46 to 49. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance, for, repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses to, at, of these things. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised. But stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. We, uh, we see the same commissioning but rather than this immediate go do it kind of feeling, you get this he- like hesitation. Except it's not hesitation; it's waiting, waiting for what? Waiting for the equipment, waiting for the empowerment. And I think this is this is really important. I think a lot of us we hear this calling, we hear this push to go do something. We just jump right into it. And sometimes that's exactly the appropriate response. We just need to start making mistakes. And we'll course correct on the way. But I think a lot of us, I, I do this a lot, I have some idea about what I feel like God wants me to be doing, and I just go do it rather than waiting for him to speak, waiting for him to empower me for that mission, for that specific purpose he has for me in that time. And I think it would be really helpful if more of us did this. If we stopped and waited for the empowerment. If we stopped and waited for God to move. 
Now, this is not an excuse for avoiding mission, but a necessary step in the process. So don't use this as an excuse, but it will, it will be part of the process, waiting to see what God wants you to do. Because ultimately, we are the Spirit's missionaries. We are sent ones, filled by God, filled by God himself to demonstrate and declare the good news of Jesus with our whole lives. So what happens when the disciples wait? We see this in Acts 2. And I'm going to cover a lot of territory here, so we don't have slides for it. So just do a good job listening. But this would be a good study this week. Just read Acts 2. It's pretty mind-blowing. So Acts 2. When the day of Pentecost come, or came, now Pentecost, we, we associate that with this experience. We say, oh, that was the day of Pentecost. Actually, the day of Pentecost is the day of first fruits. It's a festival. So it's, I don't think it was a coincidence that this happened. Like that God is very intentional because there's a lot of people gathered, as you'll see. <clears throat> um, but, but that's not the name of this occurrence. Pentecost is something else that we've now attributed to this experience as well. And probably there's probably some theological significance. I just am not aware of it at the moment, so we'll leave it at, at that. But when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound, like the blowing of a violent wind, came from heaven, filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw, the, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these, these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hear them in our native language? I'm going to skip a little bit to verse 12. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one, each other, one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. They're drunk. In the NRSV, it says they've had a new wine. And they've certainly had something new, but it's not wine. Then Peter stood up to 11, with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of, all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain to, to you this. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. This is not the best argument. <laughs> but it gets better. No, this is what was spoken about by the prophet Joel. Remember this? And we'll get a little bit more context of the, the judgment that is surrounding it. In verse 17 of Acts, it says, In the last days... God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your, your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. 
I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He then launches into a pretty good explanation of how Jesus is the the uh, the one that's been promised throughout Scripture. He mentions it a couple of different ways, and he ends with this. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And, the, and God's clearly at work. The Holy Spirit is in what he's saying. When the people heard this, They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? (coughs) Sorry. Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message and were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to the number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles, the apostles' teaching, and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So we see God's people filled with the Holy Spirit. And very quickly we see the following things happen. First of all, they have an experience with their bodies. I think when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we assume it's just a spiritual thing. It's not. You are a mind, a body, and and a soul all wrapped up together as a single unit. There's no pulling that apart. It's 100% you. So when you experience God, you'll experience that on all three levels, just like they did. Immediately they start speaking in other languages, which is pretty amazing. And everyone standing around them can hear the gospel preach in their own language. And this, this Feast of Pentecost, or the First Fruits, is a really great time to do this, is because there's people from every corner of the known world at the time. I think they actually say, like, every kingdom under heaven. That's probably not the case, but as far as their understanding, that was definitely the case of what they knew about the map of the world. That was everything under heaven to them. 
But Peter, Peter begins laying out the gospel for those listening, and they're cut to the heart, the heart and 3,000 people become Christians in that single moment, which is fantastic. All right. That's something to shoot for for me, right? <laughs> and then we see the early church doing, doing these, these couple things, and a lot of them are repeated at least twice, if not more. We see them sharing possessions, or even selling them so that they can meet the needs of other people. You know know who would do that? Family. Family does that. So we see them living out their family identity. We see them devoted to the teachings of the apostles. Discipleship. They're trying to learn what it means to follow God. We see them praying and praising. They're worshiping. They're pleading, they're asking God to do stuff, they're working alongside God. And I, I think the fact that they broke bread together, and they just like put that in a couple different ways. They ate together, they had fellowship together, they broke bed, bread together. I think it just highlights how important that is. Because they could have just said, oh yeah, they ate together, or they spent lots of time together. But I think... There's something about eating. The fact that we do it all, all of us do it. We do it so consistently. I think one of the most missional things you can do is just opening your table to someone else. It's a pretty loving act, a pretty intimate act. I think ultimately that is the, like that's their missionary identity right there, playing out in acts. Is not just loving each other and taking care of each other, but breaking bread together, spending time together, getting to know one another. Like their God has gotten to know them. And then we also see them performing signs and wonders. And I'm not going to pretend to be an expert on this stuff. I have some experience with this stuff, yes, but I'm not an expert on this stuff. So I don't, I don't know exactly how God wants to use this in our, our community. But I do know that, that we pray for healing. And that's great. We should do that. But we do it often outside of the room that, of the person that needs the healing. I think it would be really cool if we tried doing it with that person, with this expectation that the spirit of power is here. And then when we pray for, for things that we need clarity about, we do that with the expectation that the spirit of prophecy is there. And wants to pour out on every servant of God. So I want to experiment that, experiment with that with you guys. I think it would be a good practice for our church. Now sometimes like when I talk about this stuff, I feel the need that I need to clarify. I'm not talking about doing things on your own. Just to drive that point home. This is like... See, we've all been told, like, be a light unto the world. Back in the day, like, a lamp or a candle is a good illustration, but we have lamps now. Like, they plug into the wall, right? Doing any of this stuff without God is like trying to be a light bulb without being plugged into the outlet. You just can't do it. It's not going to go well. It's just going to bring more darkness. So it just... Drive that home. Like, you you can't do this apart from God. And maybe you haven't experienced this this before. 
this kind of stuff before, and that's that's okay. But I, I think if you were to plug yourself into the Holy Spirit and what he's doing, you'd be surprised about what could happen. I, I kind of had this experience when I was young. Um, I, I'll go a little bit more in depth in my, my story probably later on, but what happened was is I, I went to an altar call. I had gone to church before, before that. I had been baptized before that. But I don't think I really understood the saving grace of God. And in between my baptisms and then this moment, I had been struggling with lots of things. Things that were making me feel guilty and, and just useless and, and not good. And I hear this altar call where the guy is saying, Jesus is the answer to that feeling. He can make you clean again when you can't. He can bring you into the light. He can make use of you. He loves you in a way that you don't even love yourself. And I remember hearing that and was just blown away. So I, I ran, ran up to get prayer. And as I'm like fully giving my life over to God in a way I'm sure that I hadn't before, the Holy Spirit is there too. And when you give yourself to God, the Holy Spirit is there for you. But in my experience, it was a little bit more um, explicit than probably other people's. Like, I was shaking. For hours after that, I was shaking. God had invaded my body on a deep level. And, like, I kind of went nuts. I was 16 years old. And I, I was actually there with Lindsay. Her mom had driven us there. And I remember saying, like, I think... I don't know what I'm supposed to do, but I need to do something. And I was like, should I like shave my head and like get a sandwich board and like preach the gospel on street corners? Do I need to quit my job for any of this? And uh, Lindsay's mom very wisely said, wisely said, you don't need to do any of that. Like there's people all around you that need, that need God and that need you to be there and to be the gospel for them. I was like, okay, okay, okay. And so, so I, I just started to approach life differently. I approached him, approached it connected to God. I approached it that these people needed to hear the great news that I heard. And I don't ultimately think we don't need to create opportunities for God to move. He's always moving, always. I think what we need to do is stop and ask, how are you moving? And I think that was part of my uh, ignorance in, in my youth. Is just like I knew God was moving. I was excited, and I did a lot of stuff. But I made a lot of mistakes. Probably closed some doors I didn't need to close. But if we approach life, walking into any room, asking, God, what are you doing? Or waking up in the morning, God, what do I get to do today with you? I think you'd be surprised about what he would want to do through you. And as you think about, like, who am I on mission to? I'm sure that question is bubbling up in, in, inside you. I'm willing to bet that it's probably a place you already spend lots of time. Sometimes God is absolutely calling, calling you to a different rhythm, calling you to a different location, maybe even another country. But a lot of times, he's just calling you to be intentional with 
what's already going on in your life. You're there, you're there for a reason, and he wants you to, to know that and live that out. Consider this. There's a place that you can go where almost nobody knows Jesus. They will invite you to spend time with them. In fact, they might require you to spend at least a minimum of 40 hours a week with them. Right? They'll even pay you to go there. It's your job, right? Or school, if that's what you're doing. But you're paid. You're a paid missionary. I remember a guy pointing that out to me. I was like, yeah, I am. Like, <laughs> I've been looking forward to being paid for my, my ministry, but I already am. I'm around who I need to be, and I currently love my job, and I love the people I'm around, and, then, and I'm trying to do this myself. But, like, think about it in a different way. You know, Jay has actually been a missionary on college campuses, and a great impact there. But that model would not work with our jobs, right? If you, if you said, Jay, I'll give you so much money to walk into my office and preach the gospel, he's not going to get through the front door in most of your locations, right? He's not going to be able to preach the gospel like you can. So I guess with that in mind, what would it look like for you to be empowered by the Spirit in the places that you already are? in your neighborhoods, in your job, while you're taking care of your kids, in your school? What would that look like? I need some water, so you guys need to talk. So having deeper, better conversations. Yeah, getting to the heart of matters. Rather than skirting around issues, that's huge. All right, what else? Sharing meals together. You've been paying attention. Yeah, no, the sharing meals together, that's great. Did you say something else at the end of that? Yeah. Even at work, you could share meals together. I know pretty much everyone in my department eats alone, unless they eat at their desk. And it's partly because we need to cover each other's jobs while we're, while we're working. But I'm sure a lot of people go through that anyway. Yeah, so the scope of your relationship grows. It's not just about being in this one place with them. You you develop relationships outside of, of the job or of your neighborhood. That's great. You join them in their rhythm, whether it's morning or celebration or, yeah, that's great. We are running out of time, so. But actually, it really lines up with my experience. It's like, I feel like most of our world, I mean, just looking at our election, we spent a lot of time talking and very little time listening. And I know when Lindsay and I give complete strangers the opportunity to just share, um, we're amazed by what they tell us. Like, people we've never met, we just do a half-decent job at li- listening. L- Lindsay's a lot better at it than I am. And and all of a sudden, their heart is pouring out. And then you have this opportunity. I, I always found that when, like, when I wanted to bring up the gospel, if I just shut up for long enough, and eventually I'd get that opportunity. 
I didn't have to be like, so did you see that movie? But Jesus is great. Like, just completely, like, jump the gun and be weird about it. Like, they would bring up something that would really connect with the gospel and, and the, the truth that they need to hear in their life. So I think, yeah, I mean, by listening, we create that opportunity to share the, the solution to all of their problems, which is great. And I, I think we get this idea in our head that, that being a missionary is, is like this really exciting thing. But being a missionary is not a call to success. It's a call to obedience. So Jesus, he's on earth. His ministry generally regarded to last about three years. He works with a group of 12. It's a long time to spend with just 12 people. You'd think he'd have some really good success. He's Jesus after all, right? One of them tries to kill him. That's not a very good disciple, right? I guess my point is be patient and persistent as you are trying to be a missionary because people will not get it. It will take longer than you think. And I could tell you lots of really cool stories. I could tell you about my interactions with homeless people. I can tell you about praying with a drunk guy. I could tell you about the time I prayed with a bunch of middle schoolers to see a kid's leg healed. But I think the time that I can kind of speak to where I knew I really heard God, and it's not a fun story. This is not a fun story. It's actually a very painful story for me. Is when I stepped down from working at a church. I love this church. And I still love this church. Um, but to me, I, it was probably built up to be something... Um, unhealthy. I was young. My boss is still learning how to be a boss. We had some just different expectations. And I could kind of just see something in my heart not going right down the road. And I started praying. And for like a year beforehand, I knew for about six months, I knew that this was actually my last year at this church. I was going to end it because I was a youth pastor in conjunction with that school year. So stick it out. So I wasn't, you know, shaking shaking things up too much. And I knew that this was coming. And it was painful. And it was one of the hardest things I've ever do- done to know that you're leaving someplace, to know that you have, like, you're harboring feelings that aren't healthy towards people you know that you love, but right now you're struggling to do so. And all of that stuff has been worked out. I, I love these people, and um, and you know, I still still root them on. I'm just in a different setting now. So I step down from this church because God's telling me to do so, and I step into a church plan. We're going to go to Philadelphia. We're going to start a church there. It's going to be really great, really exciting. Every meeting, we're just talking about, well, what is God going to do? What is God going to do? It's going to be really exciting. Well, it turns out it wasn't that exciting. Not much happened. I still have no idea what God did with that like year and a half, two years of my life. You know, this whole experience from, from stepping down in BRV to, to 
to working in, in the city, like, I can't put a big bow around this and say, oh, it's tied up, it's good, you know. Um, I definitely learned a lot. I, I learned a lot about myself. I learned a lot about what it means to be, be obedient. And I don't regret it. But it did not feel great. And I guess the point I'm trying to make is that missionary work, it's not about feeling great. It's not the point. It's not about knowing if you succeeded. But I know that I obeyed God's mission for me. And that's something I can live with. That's something that God can use. And I'm excited to look on the other side of eternity to see what those little actions ended up being. Because I don't think I'll ever know on this side. So, and, and I think ultimately what I'm trying to say is, is this. Lindsay got a word when we were, when we were uh, praying for this. Um, she said, I feel like God wants, wanted to say this. God wants to build the kingdom through the small things that we do. The Holy Spirit can empower the little things to be big things or big, build something bigger out of them. And that's ultimately what I'm trying to say, is that he has these, these little things, those little steps of obedience, kind of like a tissue box. You just pull out this little thing, and there's another little thing for you to do. You just keep pulling that out. And as you do these things, it's going to build up to something bigger something important, something that God is going to use, something great. So the kingdom of God is wherever God gets his way, and it's a place where we're going to see reconciliation, generosity, justice, hospitality, communion, and blessing. It's a place where people who are once enemies of God are now considered family. It's a place where sinners can learn to look like Jesus, the most beautiful and sinless man that ever lived. And as missionaries, it's a, it's a place where sent ones are empowered to expand this kingdom. And that's ultimately what missionary work is. It's taking these beautiful things and just creating a little bit more space for it little bit more space for the kingdom, a little bit more space for God to get his way in your life, in the lives of people around you, at your jobs, in your neighborhoods. So I just have a couple quick uh, takeaways. Um, one, first one, most important one, considering this election, make your true allegiances known. Don't make it about, like, I am a Republican or I am a Democrat or anything like that. Make it, I'm a follower of Christ, and this is the kingdom I'm voting for. This is the stuff I want to do. Because right now there's a lot of tension. And I'm not saying hide what you did or anything like that. I'm just saying that leading with that is probably not a great choice for your missionary work. There's a lot of tension right now, and you need, you're going to need to work hard to diffuse that even if you're on the same side as somebody on, on those issues. Next one is wait for the equipment. Wait for the mission. Kind of went over this early. Don't do things without God. It's not very eloquent to say it like that, but just don't do it. Wait for him. 
Wait to see what God is doing and join him in it. Also, we've seen the Holy Spirit as a creator. And we see him just create things. He created us. Um, ultimately, apostles start new things a lot of times. So I invite you to do that. Start or create something for the glory of God, whether that's a story, a poem, a song, a painting. Start something. It may be a new community group. If you want to explore that and see that, that, that what this new mission you have could do in the context of community, you should talk to your community leader about it or Jay, and they'll help you through that. Break bread with people. Um, Lindsay and I have been reading through this with um, our community group. It's called Next Door As It Is In Heaven. It's awesome. We're not even finished with it. I'm already recommending it. Um, but we're, we're stealing something from it. Uh, we're going to try to host just dinners every other Friday um, for now until forever. I don't know. But uh, we'll see how it goes. Uh, so, but me and Josh and, and my wife, we're going to do this because we all live together, and we're really excited about it. And, and this, this idea in this book is just this, like cast a really wide net. Anybody can come and just break bread with people. And if we can do that with a couple of us being members of the kingdom, it puts us in really intimate contact with the people who aren't. And I think it's a really great missional thing you can do, and it's not hard to do. Anybody can do that. Uh, next, uh, get training on prayer and how you can connect with the Holy Spirit. Lindsay and I actually trained some people on this very recently. I think they had a good time. <laughs> That's what I heard later on in an email. I, I'm pretty sure they did. Um, but it wasn't very well attended. There was only like five or six people there. Um, so Lindsay and I decided that we will extend the like this, this training to any community leader. If you want us to come train your, your group, we'll do that, one or both of us. So if you want this kind of training, bug your community leader. We'll come to you with what you're already doing to train you on that. And then five, um, or lastly, I guess it was six, technically. If, you, if you're feeling called, because I added a bonus one, if you're feeling called to something right now, if you, you just feel like, yes, I have to go do something, or you have a specific mission, and you're waiting for that empowerment, or you just need clarity, either one, I invite you to come get prayer during response time. And what I mean by that is come up to the front row here in between the, uh, like, stay away from the tables if you can, and somebody will come pray with you, whether that's me or Lindsay or Jay or uh, another community leader. Uh, they'll come pray with you about this. Um, and, and Lindsay, you said you have a, a word to share with people? Yeah, so if any of these things feel like you're just hit by something, you want to come get prayer, please do so. Um, you know, when I was praying for this sermon, I specifically felt like God wanted to empower people during this response time. So don't miss on the, out on that opportunity, okay? So let's wrap it up. We're going to wrap it up with the Great Commission. The same words that Jesus commissioned his disciples. I'm going to commission you with it. All authority in heaven and on earth 
has been given to Jesus. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. And surely, I am with you always to the very end of this age. God, we thank you that you are with us and that you were first the missionary. Help us to be the same. Help us to be this community of reconciliation. Yeah, primarily that. That's what we need right now, Lord. Help us to be that. And help us to listen so we can get to the heart of the matter in all of of these people's lives. In the name of Jesus, amen.